Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Dabaoki, David Brothers, Chibs Darsky, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And hey, why not check out mangasplainingextra.com? By the time this episode goes live, there might be something cool there. Who can say? I'm Chris, and I am hosting, and the title of the book that we are covering today is the, uh, I was remembering our, our Boku no Hero Academia opening, and so for the purposes of the internet reader, today's book is Oyasumi Pun Pun, which is just a direct translation to Goodnight Pun Pun, but you tell right away who read this book legally and who didn't <laughs> by how the title was, was translated for uh, North American audiences, Oyasumi just meaning basically goodnight. So, Goodnight Pun Pun by Inio Asano. This is a book that has a bit of infamy, I guess, online as being a, let's say, a sad book. And we'll see how sad everyone thinks it gets before I use adjectives that are too hyperbolic uh, to describe it. Inio Asano first sort of debuted in English with his book Solonin, which was the perfect and is you know, the perfect quarter-life crisis book about, you know, being a young person and not knowing which way to go in life. And then something happens and you're like, did he really just do that? And he did. And Solonin's a great, great title. And I was thinking about choosing that one instead, but it's a little too pat, a little too neat because Asano's work just gets messier and messier and messier the longer he makes manga, the longer he keeps going. And I think Oyasumi Pun Pun, or Goodnight Pun Pun, is one of those books that gets pretty messy. So let's talk about what it says on the back cover of the book. And I am reading today's book on the Viz app uh, digitally. So of course, I don't actually have (laughs) the back of the book. Would you like me to read it? Because I I would love you to read it. Thank you so much, Deb. (laughs) Meet Pun Pun Punyama. He's an average kid in an average town. He wants to win a Nobel Prize and save the world. He wants the girl he has a crush on to like him back. He wants to find some porn. That's what he wants. But what does he get? We shall find out. Mm, We will Mm. find out indeed. And what does he get? And that changes pretty radically as the series goes on. All right. So yeah, we, we have a book and it sounds like it might just be a charming little slice of life, a little stand by me for the 2000s generation, if you will. But I don't think I don't think we get that. So David, Deb, had you guys read this one before? I think this volume and the next, but I haven't finished the series. Mm. Same here. It's been a while since I read it. So reading it for this episode was like reading it all over again, like brand new. Mm. Yeah, me too. But I couldn't help because I had read it just how ominous the first volume felt because you know sort of things that happen later in his relationships and things like that. So actually I want to go to I want to break the mold here a little bit and go to Chip first and <gasps> see what he thought because he had no prior he had no prior knowledge of Goodnight Pun Pun before starting it. And I'm curious to see what he thought. Is it is it a sweet little love story about how difficult it is to have a first crush or do you think there's something else going on? How did you feel about Goodnight Pun Pun? It's a hilarious, wild, really fun story. Um, I only read the first 15 pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love this book. Yeah, the, the, the first like chapter was super funny and twisted and weird. And like all the introduction of everyone, and, like the, mm. the teachers or the principal playing hide and seek and like the teacher screaming, like all the adults are just like, wild and weird and super funny and super trippy and really well drawn and paced and beautiful panels. And as it goes, that kind of strips away a little bit. And then you kind of get into the, the, the heart of the story and yeah, it's sad, but because the humor is still kind of threaded throughout, like it's still a really enjoyable read. Mm. I thought the balance was super well done, especially in this first volume. So yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Oh, so he hooked you with the first volume. And actually, yeah, yeah. I should say the, the first volume is actually volumes one and two of the Japanese, yeah. sort of in one. I'm sorry, there was nothing that could be done. <laughs> you had to read a double volume. What are you going to do? I know, I know. All right, uh, David, uh, what yeah. did you? how did you feel about revisiting Pun Pun? I still liked it. Kind of like Chip, like the cartooning is really impressive. But I think partway through, I was like, wait, what is this series about again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Because I kind of got the, like the way adults screw up children all the time and kind of the depression subtext a little bit. Yeah. But I think I lost 
part of the connection with everything that started going on. I think it came back like towards the end of the second half of the book, uh, towards mm. volume two. Yeah, for sure. When he sees Aiko again after she's left and sort of broken his heart, and she's with another guy, even though like I, she promised he'd be for forever, which is like such a kid thing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's handled so seriously and so poignantly at the end of volume two that that's where I was like, oh, he's really hinting at things to come. Yeah, and it's sort of like life unrelentingly sucks for this kid, mm. which makes the time skip almost funny in a way because you know life didn't get better or change at all like everything just got more of what it was but the i don't know i like asano's storytelling in general i like the way that he kind of teases out a story the way he builds characters Mm -hmm. i like the play-doughy kind of cartooning that he does with with the characters he he likes or wants people to think are cute like there's something really cool there really cool about his creative approach I want to talk about that yeah. later for sure, because what he's doing with the art here, when we got to meet him and interview him, 2016, I think, or 2015, mm-hmm. he really went into his process here, and it's it's wild. It's really, really wild. Deb, what were your initial impressions of Goodnight Pun Pun? Or I guess your secondary impressions <laughs> of Goodnight Pun Pun? I guess if anyone kind of went into this book thinking, oh, boys, another heartwarming story from the creator Solonin. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, I agree with every what everyone's been saying so far that the art is super impressive and the storytelling just kicks you in the nuts sometimes, you know? Yeah. It's unrelentingly it's surreal in a lot of ways, right? It's you know, the the visual equivalent of Charlie Brown listening to the teacher go wah 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 because the adults are just demented. Yeah. Like they, crazy, so like far away. They look like they're gonna, they're all on the verge of snapping, like just on the verge of killing people, like you know, getting out a gun if it was more legal in Japan, and you know, spraying down the school. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of it's disturbing. It's like a horror story in a lot of ways. Mm. It's it's kind of a coming in age story, but it's also kind of a horror story because you see poor Pun Pun, right, who is basically a stylized bird. Mm. And all his family are also stylized birds, but everyone else looks human. So, you know, you're automatically first left with this thing like, wait, why? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And, but he is able to make it very expressive. You know, the way that he draws this really simple character, like sweating and freaking out in all kinds of ways and showing emotion when it's basically the equivalent of Hello Kitty, which has no mouth. <laughs> mm. Like a super simple line drawing of a bird with legs looks like a doodle but he can make it he can convey so much angst (laughs) Mm. from from this very simple drawing doesn't he just wring every emotion out of that bird though like Uh, it's very bold (laughs) yeah like just changing the line and yeah but also if you pictured the bird drawn like everyone else would the story be readable i don't think so no, yeah. no, like, like, even though he's able to get a lot of kind of emotion from that bird, like, there's, the bird does, like, kind of, it's a fun trick, because it does kind of two things simultaneously. It makes the bird kind of a blank canvas, so the reader can be the bird. Mm-hmm. But also, it creates a distance between us and that bird as well, because, mm-hmm. like, if they were drawn as, you know, quote-unquote realistic as everyone else, and, like, you wouldn't be able to suffer what the bird's going through. You wouldn't be able to project yourself as easily into it. He's a blank space. He's negative space. He's yeah. where your eye yeah. rests on the page. Pun, pun, yeah, it's, like. it's just kind of because everything else is so detailed. And then that's yeah. so blank and simple. Your eye is drawn to it immediately. Almost like the Charlie Brown example where like Charlie Brown missing the football and landing on his back. It's like it, there's a chuckle there. If he was drawn realistically and he landed on his back, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Is that kid going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. nine-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, the kind of the extreme cartoon nature of Pun Pun makes it easier for us to kind of handle what's happening to him. Yeah. While also you're still getting a, an emotional reaction because of how well the character's cartooned. And you feel more for him because he's in this world of kind of realism and hyper detail stuff too. Like, it's, But like grotesqueries. Everyone's grotesque in this. Like the caricature is dialed up to like 15. You know, All the adults. Yeah. All the adults. Even the kids. Yeah. Like the kids are like. The kids so so gross. Like they're gross. Like kids are gross. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. I mean? They all like, have snot, snot dripping out of their noses and yeah, being. But they're hilarious too. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. Yeah. So 
I want to actually talk a little bit about, before we get into the visual metaphors, I want to actually do something we don't usually do. I'm going to read the back cover copy. I went and found it for volume six of seven. This is a mm. seven volume series. Pun Pun has finally reunited with the love of his life, Aiko, but she isn't as exciting and wonderful as he remembered. And she doesn't make him feel exciting and wonderful. In fact, he thinks they're both terribly banal. And now they've done something terrible. Pun Pun, what do you do when there's no way out? And that's how volume six is introduced to the reader. And I bring that up because this is at its core, absolutely like David said in his his bit, a story about how adults fuck up people, like fuck up kids, but also how kids just, you know, how about everyone's kind of fuck up? It's wild because all of the things that Chip said stuck out to him, especially from the beginning, are really just like there's so much metaphor loaded into this book, both the visual stuff as well as like Pun Pun and his family are drawn to be like almost blank spaces, like cartoon ghosts with, you know, beaks on them. But there that's his family. That's what he knows. He is othering he is showing Pun Pun's perspective as being othered from the rest of the world where he doesn't feel, you know, he feels simple or he feels not like everybody else is. And that's like an amazing conceit for to hold up for, you know, seven 400 page, you know, volumes of, of a manga. And that's like the visual metaphors, like the fact that adults literally don't make sense to young Pun Pun, like they're doing things that are completely insane to him is an amazing story metaphor for how things that adults do don't make sense to kids. There's just so much going on here. And then we didn't talk about how he sees God. And I think God talking directly to him and telling him to stop praying because it's really boring to listen to, I think is kind of fascinating as well. How did you all feel about that when God showed up in the story? Who is, by the way, I'm pretty sure Inio Asano. What? Yeah, no. yeah. I'm pretty is sure that, that he's like... He yeah, would have he, to be. He drew himself into the story because he's the he's the God of the world that he's created, right? I didn't recognize who that guy was. I thought maybe he was like some comedian or something. He does look a little bit like a comedian, but I feel he had very different hair <laughs> or something like that when he when he did this. It looks like a Japanese Ed Chavez. Oh, wow. <laughs> I will get Ed's feedback on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ed. <laughs> I think it shows how, I don't know, everything is inscrutable to kids. You kind of tell a kid something and then they decide what it means mm. and kind of follow mm. through, you know, with that until they find out otherwise. So, like, this kid has no frame of reference for God, I think. So it re- resembles, like, some guy, you know, and whether or not that that's like technically the God of the universe or not for the kid. I think it definitely is. Mm. And, you know, all of his hallucinations and things are tend to be very like primal and nightmares. Like when he looks at the anatomy book and he has the monsters that are chasing him when he goes to sleep. I have a flag on that one. Oh my God. Yeah. The clearest monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I agree that he's othered by how he's drawn necessarily, but I see where you're going there. But yeah. I th- I do think that the way he sees things is his perception. Mm. Like I feel like the story was the same as it would be if they were you know humans or human shaped or whatever the right term is. I don't know. I feel like maybe that's answering two different questions though. But I think in terms of like him and God, it just is just another example of how much of a kid he is and how inexperienced with the world. And easily led he is by the adults because he's given the whole idea of God by a um, a throwaway joke by that his uncle doesn't even remember. Yeah, and ends up meaning the world to you know boom boom. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. Hmm. There's a lot here about basically every relationship in his life hurts, and ha- making connections with other people hurts, and that to me is the, sort of the takeaway of this story. That's like the overriding theme across the many volumes of this, and. There are bright spots and then there are very, very dark spots. But in the end, like everything is hurts. Like some stuff happens in the next volume with the uncle where you're like, oh, he's the good guy in Pun Pun's life. And it's, he just makes mistakes. Like everybody makes mistakes. You know what I mean? It's maybe rather than a a dark series, maybe it's like, (laughs) it's like when you have to shoot old yeller (laughs) because he's got the rabies. (laughs) This is the manga equivalent of having to shoot old killer, where it's just like, oh, the people in your life that you think are going to be there for you. Well, sometimes 
yeah, they do some shit. And it's, uh, yeah, you'll never think of him the same way again. Like, and that happens every single volume from this point on. And I think that that's, 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 that's kind of what I'm getting at here is I want to go back now and be like, Chip, where did you think this story was going when you got to the last page? Knowing, especially it was a longer series. Well, it's the fact that this collection kind of, it feels like it starts volume two at the end. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't volume one, volume two It's like all of volume one and then like a snippet of volume two to kind of keep you going. Yeah. Or no, it's too complete. Yeah. But it feels like, because it, yeah, the time, skip, it, it, the time skip happens like in the last, like fifth, sixth of the book. Yeah. yeah. And it says part two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It starts by saying part two. So when that happened, I was just like, Oh, okay. We're following Pun Pun. Like the fact that they're doing this time jump and they're clearly setting up what what comes next. I'm like, is this going to be his whole life? Like, I I, I definitely wasn't under any illusion that life was going to get better for him after this. <laughs> like, this doesn't feel like that kind of story. I'm not expecting necessarily the next few volumes to be uh, happy and cheerful. But yeah, like I I still kind of want to see where it goes. Oh really? For sure. Yeah. So you would read more of this then? Yeah, I mean I'm. Okay, weirdly, it didn't bum me out as much as I think it maybe bums out most people. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just the fact that I'm in love with the cartooning and the humor of it. Mm. So yeah, so I'm not put off by the fact that I know things are going to go wrong. Because I, I know it's it's still going to be kind of a bit of a fun journey. It's going to be told in an entertaining way, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, God showing up. I, I, I chuckle every time I see that image of the guy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> and everything he says is, you know, it might be a downer sometimes, but there's there's still humor in it. Like, I'm looking at the page where towards the end, he's like, you know, kind of berating Poon Poon. And he's like, but then that's you, Poon Poon. Poon Poon goes, shut up. And then just like the, that tiny panel where he goes, ooh, scary, as he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea, of, the idea of Eddie God just being like, ooh, scary, as he like dips away. <laughs> It's super, super funny and charming, even if he is delivering uh, some soul-crushing observations on Poon Poon's life. Oof. So yeah, so I know I can see that things are going to go bad. Obviously, you guys have confirmed things are going to go bad, <laughs> but it, it, it's still such a well-told story. I want to see where it goes. Yeah, that's how I feel about all of his work. Is it's very page-turning, where you just want to keep you just want to keep seeing what he's going to put down on paper, even though it might hurt you, and often does, <laughs> often does. How did this one hit you, Christopher? Like you mentioned, uh, you know, this is like high conflict, I feel. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, it's like rewatching, uh, it's like rewatching Friends on Netflix for like the eighth time. It's just comforting at this point, even though you like, it is blood boilingly awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, sorry, if Ross should be in jail, I think we all agree. What he did to Rachel <laughs> in that last episode is unforgivable. What did he uh, do to. Never mind. I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> I, I, I'm just gonna. I, I need to say for the record, I've never seen an episode of Friends. Yes, yeah, never. <laughs> I have oh, wow. seen. I have seen parts of so many episodes of Friends, and I know so much about it. I know Ross and Rachel were on a break. They were on a break. Actually. I know Chandler and Monica get married. They do. And yet, I've never watched an episode. And yet, I know all their names. I know all the guest stars that have been on it. Like, it's it's, it's wild. This is like my relationship with X-Men, really. The way you're describing it. Yeah, Friends Friends is kind of X-Men. Friends is kind of (laughs) X-Men. They're kind of the original X-Men when you really think about it. Oh, wow. This is like a bunch of of white kids in a place that they clearly shouldn't be able to afford. In the middle of New York. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, being terrible to each other. Weird guest stars. Weird guest stars. Weird guest stars. It is the X Men. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Sorry. Uh, No, no. no. So how is this like Friends? How is this? It's for me because I've already read it. The conflicts. I know what's coming, and I know the worst stuff that's coming. And so when something bad here happens, I'm like, oh, that's okay because it's not you know this thing that happens in Volume Two or this thing that happens in Volume Four that is just like awful. It was weird. And I and I gotta I gotta say, I was trying to like delay as long as possible because I could just talk about the art for like an hour just on its own. What he's doing here is so cool. But yeah, like it's such an enjoyable book to read because the art is so good. 
And I got to say, like full props, I went and looked because I know this was a heavily scan related illegally read series. I went and looked and like the scans that are online just suck. The the grayscale on this and the tones are so beautiful if you're reading it digitally. And even the printed edition looks really good. And like the scanned out of the Japanese Tonkuban with like mediocre translations over top versions don't compare, especially with Asano's work being as nice as it is. So if you're out there and you've only ever read it, you know, and and for to be fair, it was out for like almost 10 years before Viz translated it. You owe yourself to read it again. I think in this format, if it's something that you like, it's going to be a hard read. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so beautiful. So yeah, I want to actually talk about the art. And I just, I kind of want to throw up in the floor because I have my own thoughts. But Deb, give us your, what, what did you think of the art in Goodnight Pun Pun? And Asano's artwork in general. I, I remember when he came to TCAF, and I I really regret that we don't have any kind of transcript or anything of his demonstration, because mm. it is amazing what he does. The way that he uses computers and like 3D modeling to make his manga. So it looks, what's interesting is that it's it does definitely use photo references, but mm. it's integrated with the characters. Like it works nicely together. Versus like, say, for example, and I'm not saying that Mizuki doesn't do this nicely. Mizuki does what he does purposefully. Mm-hmm. But he Mizuki draws very detailed backgrounds and very cartoony characters in front of him. This is uh, Shigeru Mizuki of Kitaro and Onwards Towards an Old Death, where he'll do like a like a Tintin thing, where like the characters yeah. are like super simplified, not a lot of lines in the inside, and then on like very complex backgrounds. And Mizuki's like a master at that. We'll throw some of his art in the show notes. But this is like the it, the backgrounds and the characters work well together. Like they look like they belong in that world. Yeah, I think so too. Even though they're very stylized yeah. and very cartoony in their own way, they do look comfortable in that space. So you don't, there's not that disconnect. And so when you see those moments, I think his page turns are really nice. Like the one where they turn the page and there's a sky. Where you yeah. turn the page and it's just her face. Even though she's obviously, you know, very cartoony. She's kind of like Lucy Van Pelt in some ways, <laughs> you know, with the yeah. with the buck teeth He's, and the yeah pre- freckles. She's pulling that, <laughs> she's pulling that away. The the football for sure. To, to your point specifically, mm. I'm looking at page two thirty five here, mm. and the panel on the bottom of the page is Pun Pun standing sort of in the middle of the abandoned factory with the other kids sort of behind him in the mm. in the distance. Iko's in the like super far foreground, and he's done mm. so much. Like obviously that that factory is is a photo or was a photo at one point, but he's done so much processing work on this panel that you would never know that it's composited right up into and including uh, filmic technique of having characters in the foreground, like in the in this, the super foreground being blurry, as mm-hmm. compared to Pun Pun who's in, sort of in focus, and the characters behind Pun Pun tend to get a little bit more distinct, or the light coming through the window in the back is starting to bleed on top of like the dividers for the window panes like it would in real life like yeah he's using he's using photos in a way that is the least lazy thing i think i've ever seen when someone's throwing a photo on the background yeah. and adjusting it in photoshop like it's really easy to do that I, i've done that when i was still making comics it's fun but like yeah when you say photo photo backgrounds or photo ref backgrounds yeah this doesn't feel lazy to me deb and i think i totally agree they look drawn right or he's got a filter that makes it look like his ink drawing the line quality is similar there's drawing going over it there's definitely drawing happening over it Mm. yeah yeah to deb's point about like everyone feeling kind of integrated and not like cartoony versus the background that's super necessary here because otherwise you would have three different levels You'd have Pun Pun yes. as hyper cartoon, and then the kids would be cartoon, and then the background would be like detailed. Everything has to kind of feel seamless for Pun Pun to actually like make sense as hmm. a stylistic choice. Because mm-hmm. it could look like you know like Roger Rabbit, right? But it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that's actually not a bad <laughs> touch point actually for what yeah. they're doing here. Yeah. Even the uh, you know Chris pointing out the blurring of Aiko in the foreground. It's super well done because they they blurred her, but then screen toned her afterwards. Mm. Yeah, like if you zoom in on it, it still has like kind of the dot patterns, which is just like a really nice touch. I don't think a lot of cartoonists would kind of figure out to do that to make sure that it all still works really well together. Mm. David, you tend to have a lot of thoughts on art and comics and storytelling, especially. I would love to get your take on this. 
think that Asano is much more stiff than most artists that I like. Really? But I find him so not stiff, bro. Really? This is... Oh, please I... edit that bro out. <laughs> <laughs> you know Chris means it when he starts saying bro. Yeah. But no, there's stiff in the sense of being dynamic. Like, I couldn't see, like, a really kinetic fight scene from Asano. Mm. Most of his big moments are, like, the still moment of, like, someone picking up a chair or, like, beginning a run or being, you know, kind of buried under pipes and things like that. It's less about the motion and more about the effect. Yep, I get that. Yep. Get that. Like, even on page 259, <laughs> when the pipe boxer on the head, super good joke. But it's like very, it, it feels sort of referenced in a way that with most cartoonists, I'd be kind of like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. It's not really my bag. But something about how soft Asano's work is kind of mm. makes it work for me anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like his characters are very play doughy. You know, like mm. if you look at, I mean, honestly, her face, it just looks like it's like a lump of clay that just, you know, as she emotes and moves, it kind of moves in interesting ways. Same with like the snot nosed kid who's always doing like two motions at once or that kind of thing. I don't know. There's a lot to recommend it yeah. where at first glance, I'd probably be kind of like want to look past bits here and there. It's funny. It's funny. Yeah. You, you, you're talking about like, you know, kind of the stiffness mm-hmm. looking two pages prior to that or the page prior 257 the big kind of thing happening on that page is supposed to be the kids running and it's so downplayed. Like, I think, yeah. I think any other artist would be like, Oh, this is the scene where the kids finally just start running. And yeah. that's going to be a whole full page of motion of them running at an angle. So we get some dynamism and there's no dynamism there. No, you can't even tell where they're running from. If you know the panel. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so you're, you're, you're dead on like clearly yeah. this cartoon is like, enjoys the quiet moments and the pacing of like of those kind of quiet moments whereas the action stuff is less so yeah and the on the facing page 256 there's the backlit panel of you know some dude on the roof and it Mm -hmm. zooms in on his face and it's still you know impenetrable Mm -hmm. and then it cuts to the kids and they all kind of have varying levels of nervous smiles (laughs) on their face Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah Like, those are the moments that I think Asano excels at and they kind of keep pulling me through. Like, the reactions, the faces, Poon Poon, everything he does is exaggerated. I think because he's such a blank character. Yeah. Not even like a blank slate. He's just sort of, like, less expressive than all of his friends by default. Mm -hmm. Well, and we should mention that because he doesn't talk. Like, we actually haven't mentioned... I just realized we did... Poon Poon doesn't have... Like, he has inner narration sometimes, but he never... We never see him say anything. Oh, and that's, that's like true. Also, part of his blankness, I guess. Yeah, it's part of the distance that Chip was talking about. You know, it's always like Poon Poon said something in a caption or him imagining something, but people respond to him. Yeah, as if he. Talked. I didn't realize that. I kind of, I kind of wish we didn't have any of his dialogue. I feel like that's kind of a like a weird stylistic thing that only goes kind of halfway when it could have mm-hmm. gone full way. Because as soon as, because I was when I was reading, I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." The fact that like he doesn't talk, and then all of a sudden there was like him actually talking, but in quotation marks within the caption. And I'm just like, "Oh man, it would have been," because so much stuff just happens to him. Yeah. In this book, that it would have, I think it would have elevated even more if like he also just doesn't say anything. Like he's his actions are limited and his words are non-existent, but people react to him as if he said a thing. Hmm. Yeah, but that's just me being like, oh, how can I change this? How can I <laughs> rewrite <Yeah>. this <laughs> in a way that suits me better? I wonder if it was one of those challenges where they started one way and then partway through they were like, man, this is like way harder than I thought. Yeah, yeah maybe. Like writing yeah. the demon in verse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an ambitious book, right? Because how many double-sized volumes is this? Like 10? Seven. So it's six double-sized volumes and the last volume, volume seven, is volume 13. Just one volume. So, yeah, it's a huge, it ran for a long time because it was actually very popular in its original serialization as well. People were reading it like as it was coming out in scans, which also doesn't really happen super often either. So, well, with this type of arty comic, yeah. I mean, when I, mostly that, that hunger for the scans comes from shonen manga, right? Mostly shonen jump. But yeah. for people to hunger after a, a seinen manga that is kind of arty and dark, interesting, isn't it? I think yeah. Solonen laid the bed for that, though. 
Oh, is that right? With how it hit and who it hit with specifically. Like, you know, mm-hmm. mid-20s anime fans who were growing out of Naruto at that point. Mm-hmm. As Naruto was kind of winding towards its second half. It was like the perfect bridge book in terms of both like storytelling styles and also like storytelling content. Like, you know, I think Asano's work deals with a lot of mature content from a adolescent perspective or, you know, kind of builds on that perspective as the story goes. I could totally see like why this would lead to a bunch of people kind of being too clued in ahead of time. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good, it's a really interesting take. I, it's in, it, so this, I just checked, it came out in 2007, after the manga crash in oh. the early 2000s, uh. and it was sort of during a rebuilding period, and it was post Shonen Jump North America, and yeah, it really was part of, I think it was part of Viz's, it's Viz's signature line, which was their like, grown up manga, <laughs> or their grown up manga imprint, and trying to like, find that post Shonen audience. It turns out people are just going to read Shonen literally forever. It doesn't matter how old they are. We read Shonen and it's it's pretty fun. Sorry, did this not do well when it finally was released? It did actually very well for that line. Okay, but it's a kind of thing where I've been saying this a lot on this. Uh, I'm in Tokyo right now. I'm saying all this trip. You could do Goodnight Pun Pun, which like like fans were clamoring for and did really well in Japan, and it did pretty well when it came out. But it did about the same as literally any random Shonen Jump book. So, and a lot of the stuff in the Viz signature line that's my my favorite stuff did not do well. Did did not do well. They did not find a, that adult audience. It just wasn't there. I think it's actually probably there now, but that's fully fifteen years after this came out. Like, or sorry, I guess it's um. So this was two thousand seven in Japan. Two thousand sixteen is when it started serializing in North America, and then obviously it's twenty twenty three now. So I think another six or seven. I think it was very ahead of its time. I think another six or seven years, the the audience for adult stuff is a little bit bigger now. I'm, I'm counting on it. I mean, that's what we're doing for Mog's Planning. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, David, you asked me like how I actually responded to it. And I think the, mm-hmm. the big response was starting to see, the first time I read this, I read it as entertainment. Absolutely. I read it as like, this is a manga by a guy I know I love. And I actually was trying to support good manga in the marketplace so i was reading this and like talking about it on the on the blog and stuff and this time i read it for the podcast which is a different reading experience i was Mm -hmm. reading it to try and figure out what he was doing as a creator especially because in the intervening time i literally met him and (laughs) you know have been to an art exhibition of his work in japan and like seeing the originals and picked everything apart and yeah that's the that's probably the biggest difference and so i've just come away with Honestly, so much more respect for his craft in this, not just the craft of the art, which we've talked about, but like how he's building this story. And I do think, Chip, you're right. Like he did cheat by letting himself, letting the narrator, the omnipresent narrator that is exists in this book, occasionally quote what Pun Pun is saying. But that's the kind of cheat I can I can get behind. I know how hard it is to make comics. Like if you got it, you're like stuck and you're like, all right, the yeah. narrator says that, you know, he said this. And it is a bit of an unreliable narrator, and more and more so as it goes. Like he, the narrator actually gets really mean to Pun Pun, but Pun Pun keeps screwing up. So, what are you going to do? I think that happens in Preacher as well. I would love to. Well, someone's got to do Preacher explaining or something. I'd love to go back and reread that because, man, I I was reading that as a forty year old as opposed to a twenty five year old or whatever I was when it came out. I think would be a very different read. Curious about that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm already doing friends explaining now. oh my god we're gonna in the time off we sent i sent david a a link to the mash anniversary episode that they did and i was like we really ought to have done more mash planning like this was like watching this i was like there'd be so so much material for an episode on this bonus and and there are mash podcasts yeah i would love to (laughs) yeah if we ever if the well ever runs dry for manga i know what we're i would love to go to mash planning next or at least friends planning and we can all just just hate every episode. There's <laughs> so many bad ones. <laughs> and uh, that's a good final thought on Good Night Pun Pun. Wow, friends. <laughs> wow. For me, anyway. Let's get some some thoughts. You, some final thoughts, maybe, on Good Night Pun Pun. I like how many... I'm scare quotes like. How many different ways that the adults are shown like messing over children in this. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it really is the sort of thing where you never see it coming. You don't know what's going to take root and how it's going to be expressed. And even the scene where like Kung Kun's dad comes back at one point. Yeah, and, that's so sad. Like, I feel like it's it felt like a very divorced dad conversation. Yeah. Going from some real life experience of everyone's trying their best. And it's just like, it's not working. It's not clicking. Something's, <laughs> you know, some connection that was there isn't there anymore. But you both want it really bad. But also, it's just not there anymore. So the bit where he's like, you know, like, hey, by the way, you know, like, I forgot to tell you that I love you. And Boon Boon's just kind of like, oh, well. And then he walks home and discovers that the planet he discovered is gone. It's just like such a good loss of innocence metaphor, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the stuff with the uncle being cool to Poon Poon, but like he was only cool because he wasn't there all the time. Now that he's always there, the uncle's kind of like weirdness or just general adulthood kind of stands out quite a bit. Yeah. And the mom is like a whole other thing. You know, she could be a volume unto herself. Yeah, yeah there's the storytelling is really quality and layered in this one. And I think in my head, I just treat them as a family who looks like this rather than like bird people. Yeah, so I, I don't really think of think them as actual birds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they start laying eggs or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange, but I think without that strangeness, it would be, like Chip said, a lot harder to take. It would just be unrelenting sadness on behalf of this, you know, undoubtedly adorable child. <laughs> but because he's a bird, you know, he can take a whole lot of punishment. That's a pretty True. good final thought, David. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Deb, did you have a final thought you wanted to express on Goodnight Pun Pun? We all know I'm a big binge reader, right? Once I get onto a manga, I'll read, I'll get every single volume and I'll read it over two, three days, maybe, if it's a long and complex series. This one is a tough one. I've been reading it in drips and drabs, and it is hard for me to keep going. I appreciate the, I appreciate the craft. And I think it's a super interesting book to discuss. But there's part of me that wonders, is this the kind of thing that guys really resonate with? Because it, it ties into their sense of existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Like it especially resonates with a male reader. Whereas I kind of look at it like, oh my God, this guy. Yeah, yeah. Screwed. Like, oh my God, how horrible. Like I don't, I don't, some of it I read and I think like, yeah, you know, I, I feel the part about the teacher going, go dr dream big, but think about your financial means because <laughs> you're not going to dream, you're not going to reach all your dreams, right? Like the cynicism there that's, that's there. It's a class full of nine-year-olds. <laughs> I, I know. love that scene so much. She did that in real life. Like I thought that was totally I, I did, yeah, the headline. I did do that in real life. <laughs> in university, Sub at least. <laughs> subscribe to my Substack for more. <laughs> Yes, I mean, so it's, 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 I don't think it's definitely not a teen book. I mean, it's an older teen book, an older teen who likes Nietzsche or whatever, or Kierkegaard, <laughs> but um, it's not a, it's not the, it's not one of those books you can really understand and I guess feel like, oh, okay. Until I think you're in your 20s and you, you can look back on your parents as fellow adults who had screwed up lives versus yeah. people you expect things out of. It's and it's every adult too. I was just remembering the scene where they get to the the factory and they bump into that girl and she's like, "Oh yeah, there's nothing like that here. Don't worry about it." And they're like, "Yeah, but you're covered in blood." And he, she's just like, "Oh yeah, my, it's not a big deal. It's my dad. He gets violent sometimes." And it's just like they're offhanding, like offhandedly mentioning adults off panel who are pieces of shit. Like mm -hmm. Iko's mom dragging her around. Like there's no good adults except for the uncle. And man, does that go a direction? So like. Yeah, I, I, I feel you there. Like, it's, I think I disagree though, because teens read this and they mm. talk about it on their weird mm. forums on the internet. Manga Collectors <laughs> on Reddit is a good one that I had to go on mm. for work. And it's just like, yeah, everyone, everyone read Oyosomi Punpun and Scanlations when they were too young to read it and had like real thoughts about it. And I think, you know, much like, much like Preacher coming back to it as an adult now. Yeah, it, there's the metaphors and like the the different layer of, of storytelling hits in a different way, for sure, for sure, for sure. And I think, yeah, reading mm -hmm. it another twenty years, who knows how I feel about it? I can read it like a Chechenarai kind of thing, right? Like mm. where he's this disaffected teenager who is beset by these adults who 
he can neither respect nor feel protected by. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really, like, as, as you say, I think that's a relatable teen sentiment. But if you're, I wonder sometimes, like, if it's as a teen, you're reading that, you go, yeah, yeah, that me, that me, that me. Oh, yeah. my God, yes. Or you can read it as an adult and go like, oh, yeah, hmm, there's some truth there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people see themselves as Pun Pun or in Pun Pun's shoes, mm. which makes Pun Pun growing up and making mistakes in the following volumes, real mistakes, really, is it, it does draw you in in this first volume and to be like, oh, I project myself into Pun Pun's space. This is like, you know, I had to grow up dealing with these issues. Uh, and then Pun Pun turns out to, that it turns out he can be just as much of a piece of shit as his parents or as other people. Spoilers. Spoilers. He, yeah. Yeah, I can't talk about it without, like, hard spoilers. But, yeah, it's, you gotta read Goodnight Pun Pun is my final thought. Chip, how about you? Well, I found this book highly relatable. <laughs> Especially the Porn Watchers Club. <laughs> club. <laughs> <That was pretty laughs> nice. How, and how traumatic it can all be. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I love the book, and I'm going to keep reading, even though you guys keep foreshadowing how hard it's going to be to read it. <laughs> but like some of the some of the, I do find some of it relatable, like especially just kind of the coming of age terror of girls, like yeah. the fact that like she kind of casually says she's going to kill them, and like <laughs> he thinks she's he, she's going to do it. Like I I had a girl swing ice skates in my head. Like I, I remember, like that feeling of terror. That's a very Canadian. Uh, <laughs> I was say <laughs> Canadian courtship. Yeah, I didn't even blink at that. The girl that liked me was swinging ice skates in my head on the walk home one day, and I went and told my mom. She's like, "Yeah, she likes you. <laughs> well, she's gonna kill me." I really want to point out something we didn't talk about here, which was the one page, which is after Pun Pun uh, masturbates for the first time, and it's just my brain. Oh. My brain squirted out of my wiener. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Such a great page. Such a great page. And uh, I think a feeling that the, the gentleman here totally understand of when <laughs> your true. brain first squirts out of your wiener. And it's terrifying. <laughs> so I recommend this book to uh, anyone. <laughs> the way like you learn about sex ed from other kids and it's all kind of like a little bit wrong, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> great book i recommend it if you can handle the pain and yeah that's my final thought wow looks like i scored a win this week i feel pretty good about that Mm -hmm. thank you so much oh wait you recommended this forget it (laughs) yeah i know i shouldn't have said anything i should have said it after the break when you stop listening (laughs) speaking of which let's go to the break this is good night pun pun it's available in digital and print from viz media you can find it wherever there's books we'll be right back Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. Hopefully that was a lucrative break for all of us involved. Maybe not you. <laughs> this week, we want to keep it a little bit short. So we're just going to do some quick shout outs. Who has a shout out for something that they have read or otherwise enjoyed this week that they would like to share with the audience? I've got a short one. Go for it. So dialing back to Goodnight Poon Poon, on page 402 and 403, there's a little musical number that happens. And the song's been translated into English. The Japanese title is Tsubasa o Kudasai, and it's apparently from 1970, which I didn't know. But it's been used in a ton of anime from Evangelion to Kaon. Hmm. Like, if you just type it into YouTube and scroll down, you'll find maybe an anime you recognize, and you should listen to it. It's a nice song, very sweet, and it's so rare to see music in comics that's not done in it like a super annoying way. That I appreciated this was just sort of like, here's a quick poem that relates to the story. Then we're going to keep it moving. Uh, Tsubasa Okurasai means give me wings or something. Mm. Yeah, that's my guess. Wings, that's, a really, that's a really sweet yeah. shout out. <laughs> that's right? a nice shout out. I could throw that video in. Yeah. It'll be nice. It was a nice moment reading because I, I saw the title and I was like, okay, that sounds like a little familiar. I don't recognize the lyrics. And when I 
Googled it, it was like, oh, Evangelion. And I was like, oh, of course, it's one of the many songs that play when something horrible is happening. <laughs> Children's <laughs> choir behind it. <laughs> okay, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, but it's very sweet. Like, it, it's a good juxtaposition. And it shows that Asana was kind of thinking not just, like, not just comic storytelling, but kind of pulling from things that people who would, pull, like, recognize from the culture, I think. Like, mm-hmm. to make it more of a fully fully featured story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, Tsubasa Kudasai, put it into YouTube. Hopefully someone gets royalties for that. Hopefully. Who's got a Deb Chip shout out? I got one. I got one that's not manga. Amazing. What? 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 Is it yeah. possible? It's not even a K-drama. <laughs> I've been watching a clean sweep on Netflix. It's a reality show about a bunch of recently retired pro Korean baseball players who okay. form a team. And they are challenged by top high school and college teams. And is it this is real, am- like a reality show? Not a it's a real reality show. Oh, wow. It's so amazing because it's like watching a sports manga. But <laughs> like, I don't know who these Korean baseball players, but apparently they're legendary. And yeah. it's kind of like if you had Ken Griffey Jr. and Ichiro like, on this team after they just retired, and then they're playing a bunch of high schoolers. And literally, sometimes it's a blow it, and sometimes the, t- the kids blow them out of the water. Wow. And they're dealing with, you know, like their injuries and stuff. It's really heartwarming in some ways because they'll also say stuff like, you know, playing with each other. They go like, oh, this reminds me of why I actually love baseball. I, You know, as pros, they got to the point where they forgot that love. And then there's points where they go like, wow, I can't do it like I used to anymore, but I still want to win. And it's kind of, I love watching this. <laughs> and the the commentary on the screen is hilarious. Like Japanese shows has to have like some kind of subtitle on there. So if like the person is thinking, instead of just showing the person thinking, they go talk, talk, talk. And they have the dot, dot, dot on the screen. Or like they'll put like a caption like, I'm going to hit it this time. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's, I love it so much. It's so much that fun. sounds great. So go check it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have COVID. And I've had COVID for a week, which means I've been in bed doing things I normally would never do, which is consume an entire television show. And my show of choice has been Yellowstone, which is apparently the most popular show in America. It's starring Kevin Costner. It's about like, it's about the Dutton family and their ranch, and they'll do anything to protect their ranch. So like every second episode, it's just them murdering people. A lot of people say it's like it's like it's like finally a TV show for conservatives, but it's not really that. At least until they introduce a wacky vegan later on, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> a wacky vegan. A wacky vegan. Okay. Well, just like just like oh man, like a vegan protest outside like the livestock commissioner's office. I'm just like, what is going on here? And then someone tries to serve her eggs, and she goes, uh, I won't eat anything that had a heartbeat last week. I'm like, eggs don't have heartbeats? Like, stop making veganism a <laughs> wow. different thing than it is. It's ludicrous, and I shout at the screen probably 10% of the time about <laughs> how stupid things are on the show. But I'll say Kevin Costner can really act, and it makes me want to get on a horse. So nice. Mission accomplished. Nice. <laughs> I... All my friends from high school, that I, the ones they still chat to, went through a Yellowstone page, and they like, yeah. they would say things, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like something I want to watch. That sounds terrible. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that just might be where I'm at with TV. I was, I thought you were actually going to reveal. Yeah, I, I'm sick on the couch, so I've been actually watching Friends after all. I lied. I was like, Yellowstone is great if you grew up watching Dallas. Or Dynasty, oh, Dallas, it's it's yeah. it's oh, got wow. that vibe. Characters mm-hmm. just saying things that are just like so over the top that you're like, it's it bends reality to such a wild degree that you're just like you're kind of into it. There's like a character that just looks like a a, a wrestling villain from the '80s named oh Rip. Sounds pretty good. He wears the same outfit every day, too. and he just looks like a wrestler, and he acts like a wrestler, and he beats people up like a wrestler. It's like. What else can you uh, wish for when you have COVID? That is true. I'll give you that. I my shout I actually, out is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Oh yeah, I have a very fast supplementary shout out that I forgot to mention. <laughs> but before we did this episode, friend of the podcast Ramsey Ramsey rocks on Twitter recommended we read Goodnight Punfun before we even like chose it because it kind mm. of feels like an influence on Zoe Thorogood's latest graphic novel. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. 
oh, it's lonely at the center of the earth. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure to mention that so that if you read Goodnight Plum Plum, maybe you should read that too. Seems yeah. like a good two for one solid deal. Lonely at the center of the earth is maybe my favorite graphic novel of the year. It's like it's I pretty close. Mentioning it. Yeah. It's pretty close with with Kate Peaton's ducks. Yeah. And especially considering Zoe's like twenty three or something. That just makes me angry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure to get that onto the uh permanent record. But Chris, what's your what's your shout out? I went went and saw Gundam. I went and saw a life I'm in Tokyo again. I went and saw a life size one one scale Gundam and then it's the one down in Yokohama and it moves. It like bends down and extends its hand towards humanity. And it was very inspiring because it's ultimately dumb. Like it's, it's a dumb <laughs> thing that people built that is like, let's have a giant Gundam statue. Okay, now we want one that moves. But it was it was a good reminder. And the Tomino, who's the creator of Gundam, and we've talked about Gundam on the on the podcast before had a whole message about how it didn't move the way he wanted and it was slow because that's how servos work now and all these things. But he's like, but I actually really love it because of all of its faults mm. and reading that text and I'll, I'll maybe throw it on a mug explaining extra or something. But yeah, it was, it was a good reminder that it's, it's good to build big things that are going to inspire people, particularly like a next generation kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to build this thing and someone's going to look at it and go, I'm going to build the better one or I'm going to build the robot that like cleans up radiation areas or I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of science and technology. I, I used to really vibe with that when I was younger and you kind of lose that put, put style <laughs> as you get older <laughs> and going and having your photo taken with a giant robot that is, you know, moving at you uh, is a good reminder that there are good, there are great big things in the world and it's cool that someone is out there building them. Yeah, go see the Gundam robot in Yokohama before they take it down and rebuild it with something else in March, March 2023, 2023. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's an episode of Manga Explaining. How you guys feel? Yay. Yeah. All right, this has been an episode of Manga Explaining. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a week with another episode, I hope. Stay tuned. <laughs>